All right. Well done. You can find a seat again. If you're feeling really bold, steal the seat of the person you just met. Then you'll be friends. Okay. Awesome. Um, these people over here, let's not be too friendly. <laughs> You're having a meeting over there. <laughs> All right. Would anyone like to hear some good news this morning? Would anyone like to hear some good news this morning? Okay. God and God alone will restore his people in his timing and for his glory. That's God's work. And guess what? You get to be a part of it. And that's, that's the good news that I have uh, this morning to share. God and God alone will restore his people for his glory in his timing, but you get to be a part of it. That, that means you. That means if you're a part of the thing that is you right here, it includes you as part and parcel of God's plan for restoration in the world. To me, that's particularly good news. Um, if you have a Bible or a device or a good memory, turn to Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37. How many of you have heard 47 sermons on Ezekiel 37? Only one. <laughs> it's my wife. <laughs> and I don't even practice. <laughs> Ezekiel 37. Uh, it will be on the screen, but I encourage you to open a Bible. If you don't have one and need one, we have them on the speakers, and we're glad to give you a Bible. Before we read, let me give you a little bit of context. This will be familiar to many. This will be outlandish to some, and this will be hopeful for all, I think. So if you can picture the 5th century B.C., just go ahead, go right back in your mind. There you are, 5th century B.C. The prophet Ezekiel was living in Babylon with the early Jewish exiles. So they'd been defeated, the kingdom had been defeated, and the exiles were living in Babylon. They were under a foreign power. And honestly, they were feeling abandoned. They were living in idolatry, and things weren't too hot for them. So Ezekiel prophesies to this broken people who were de devastated by defeat and captivity. And what, what, oh, I heard the noise on that one. <sighs> devastated by defeat and captivity. They were too crushed to actually admit that their own idolatry had sent them to captivity. So they were so defeated that they couldn't even take cre credit, <laughs> responsibility for what they'd done um, for them to be in this exile. And so to these defeated, exiled people, Ezekiel promises a day when his people would be restored. He promises a day that God would bring about a change in both their attitudes and their actions. So they're defeated, and here's Ezekiel speaking the word of the Lord, promising in Ezekiel 36, before we get to our passage, that there will come a day when he will turn their hearts back to him, where, where he will change everything. Will he give, he'll give them a new heart and a new spirit, and he'll put the desire to obey him in their hearts. So these exiled people that are dead in their idolatry would one day be raised to new life. This is the promise of restoration, that Israel would be restored. And, and this is a, a real word for the real Israel. This will happen when God gathers the, uh, the nation of Israel back, and, and God will do this promised work. 
back 6th century B.C., 5th century B.C., God's promising the work through the prophet Ezekiel. So uh, hear the word of the Lord to us this morning. This is Ezekiel 37, 1 to 14. Kind of a, a long passage, but either read it, read it on the screens, or close your eyes and just be there if you can. This is God's word. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me to and fro among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. And then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Verse 9, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come breath from the four winds, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Verse 11, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone and we are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. God, thank you for this word, this apocalyptic vision that you brought one of your sons into to see. We ask in the name of Jesus that we would recognize not just the hope for Israel, but hope for the new Israel. Hope for us here this morning that restoration is promised and certain and in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. I've given you a little bit of context for this kind of wild vision and it explained what it means for Israel. But, you know, this is also for us. We get a picture of how God interacts with his people, how God speaks with Ezekiel and how God views the people that he's created for his own glory. So I want to just walk right back through the passage for a couple of minutes and just pull out what is it that God would say to us this morning at the vineyard right here about our relationship with him about our relationship with others, and about our participation in God's restoration of his people. 
I, I do want you to hear this before we continue. This is both individual and corporate. So a little spoiler alert, you know. All of these, uh, these people, these bones get restored and get resurrected. But in the end, what does God call them? An army. So this, this is not just about, you know, me and Jesus, we're all good getting all healed and right. This is something about the body too. God's creating, restoring, rebuilding an army. Don't take that in a political sense. That's not where we're headed. There's a kingdom that's different than the ones we're looking at here. And Jesus wants to rule and reign. And we're a part of that army. I'm getting all fired up. So Ezekiel says, the hand of the Lord was on me. So the vision reveals how God saw the people. So here's Ezekiel. He's just prophesied these grand things that are going to happen. And then he gets this vision. That no other in, info. Just he's got a vision. And he's in this valley of dry bones. And what stuck out to me is that um, God is showing Ezekiel what the people look like to him. Not necessarily what the people look like to themselves. Have you ever had someone in your life tell you the truth about you when you didn't recognize it? Or maybe we're just trying to avoid it? Anybody? I'm the only one? Okay, a few of us have had that someone speaking by the Spirit of God saying, you need to know something about you because I love you. This is a valley of, full of bones. They're not just dead, they're disgraced. In, uh, in that time in uh, the Jewish culture, well, probably now still, I don't really know, but bones unburied was a disgrace. You know, don't you recognize in the Bible, often it says, and then their bones were buried, and then their bones, and then their bones. It's an important aspect of Jewish culture, death culture, that the bones be buried. So what Ezekiel sees and God shows him is these are not just dead people. These are defeated and disgraced people. These are people literally, as he goes on to say, cut off without hope. Sometimes we're the last ones to realize that we're dead. Sometimes we're the last people in our lives to realize what we really need. And it's part of the reason that we need the body, right? For loving people to say, you know, you're not doing so hot. <laughs> you might think you're living, it's not looking so good for you right now. And that's what God shows Ezekiel about the people. One of my favorite authors, a guy named David Benner, psychologist and, um, and counselor, spiritual director. He writes about a, a retreat he was doing one time. And retreat implies rest, right? Like calm and peaceful. And um, a guy came up to him at the end of the retreat and he said, you know, as you were talking about being aware of God's work in your life, he said, I wrote down in my journal, I thought that I came here because I needed rest. What I recognized after all these sessions and being with God is I needed to wake up. He, he didn't realize what he needed in the process. He thought, I'm doing well, I'm working hard, I just need to rest. And what the Lord said, no, you don't need to rest, you need to wake up to reality. You've been dulling yourself with many things, and it's time to wake up. I think it's a picture of what Ezekiel, what God's showing Ezekiel about the people. It's like, these people are dead. <laughs> they may think they're doing okay in exile. They are not. They desperately need you. Sometimes we're so dry that we're past the place of real life working in us. And we need to know what God sees in our lives to really accept the reality of where we are so that we can allow God to do what only God can do, which is change us. 
I mean, I, I see in the first part of this just a recognition of humility before God to say, God, here I am. You see me. You know me. And I wonder even this morning when you ask the Holy Spirit to search your own heart, what does God say to you about you? Now, be careful. Condemnation, which the enemy is really good at, will be very broad. You're a lousy, no good, you know. You know. Conviction from the Holy Spirit will be very specific. Randy, you've turned from me in this area. You, you've, you're looking for love in a wrong place over here. You, you've forgotten your first love. Will be very specific things which always give us a chance to repent so that God can come and do his work in us. Very important distinction between condemnation and conviction. So I wonder, can we, it says in my notes you, but I'm going to say we, can we recognize the state of our own soul this morning? Can we be utterly honest before God and maybe another person or two about where our souls are before God? What do other people that love you see? Do you have the courage to ask them? Would you ask someone who loves you unconditionally, what do you see in my life and in my soul? And then listen and respond in prayer. The other reality in this first part of Ezekiel 37 is that God asks a really interesting question. Sometimes God asks us questions only with the purpose of us coming to the place where we realize, I have no idea, but you do. Jesus asked a lot of questions in his ministry. Isn't it funny, as even as you read through the Gospels, Jesus will come up to a blind man, clearly blind, or a lame man, clearly lame, and say, hey, what do you want? Why does he do that? I don't know. <laughs> There's something about the interaction between God and man when we're able to confess our need. God asks us a question like, I, I, uh, it, gets, it gets to a deep place in us. And so God asks Ezekiel, he sees these valley of, you know, dry bones. The scripture says, very dry. Um, can these bones live? How would you answer that, you know? I might be tempted to say, easy peasy. You zap them and we're all good. I've got great faith for that, you know. Or Ezekiel could have said, uh, bones, not corpses that could have life infused, but bones, they don't even have the mechanism to live anymore. So honestly, God's not looking too good for you. Ezekiel makes, gives the right answer, which is, I don't have a clue. But you know God. And I, and I just wonder, I mean, I'm just wondering out loud, is that part of the point of God asking the question to Ezekiel, do you have hope for this? And, and Ezekiel just says, I, I don't know, but you know. And it's almost as if Ezekiel is saying, I mean, he didn't say this, but I wonder if in his heart was, God, I trust you. I don't know how this works. I can't figure out how, this could, how any of these people could come back to life. I don't know how you would do it or even why you're talking to me about it but I trust you. And when I need to know, I trust you to let me know. And then God does. And the vision continues. Because God and God alone will restore his people in his timing for his glory. And you get to be a part of that, just like Ezekiel was. So the scripture goes on, and God says to Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones. 
So God invites Ezekiel into the miracle. I realize it's a vision, but we're making it real practical. God invites Ezekiel into the miracle of restoration. He tells Ezekiel to speak to dead bones. And he says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And then, and then God promises, you tell them, I will make breath enter you. God could say these words himself, but he invites Ezekiel into it. You tell them, I will make breath enter into you. You tell them, I will attach tendons and bring flesh and skin. You tell them, I'll put breath in you. And then over and over again, after each of those phrases, and you will come to life. 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 It's like the, the theme, the sub-theme certainly of these 14 verses is God speaking to dead people and saying, you will come to life. So even in restoration, in renewal and revival, God honors us. Remember, God created us in his image and then through the, the, the work of Jesus on the cross and the filling of the Holy Spirit, he he invites us into rule and reign with him. We have authority. And so it's like God is honoring the, um, who he made Ezekiel to be and saying, we're going to restore these people impossibly and you get to be a part of it. Was the power in Ezekiel? Not a chance. It's like God feeds him the lines. Now do this. Now do this. Now do this. Sometimes God gives us the words of life that releases power. Sometimes God gives us, for other people, the words of life that releases power. They're his words, and, and it's his power. But he invites us to be a part of us because they can be spoken through us. Isaiah 50, verse 4, says, The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. I know I like to say nice things about my wife, Jane, and she gets embarrassed, but I do it anyway. But Jane saw that verse, I don't know how many years ago, and, and so often when we're walking into a meeting or um, she'll, just, she'll just spontaneously, she won't even say, let's pray. She'll just start talking to God <laughs> like he's there or something. She'll say, God, give us an instructed tongue. Give us an instructed tongue so we can sustain the weary one. I mean, God gives to us words of life like he did to Ezekiel. He, he fed him the lines. And it wasn't Ezekiel's power or Ezekiel's wisdom. It was God's power and wisdom, but through the man. The power we have in our tongue for God's glory and people's restoration is incredible when we have God's heart and we're willing to give God the glory. When we're willing to say, this was the word of the Lord through me, this is what I think God's saying to you, this is the heart of God, I see it in the scripture, I see it in your life. When we're willing to do that boldly and give God the glory, the power we have in our tongue is amazing. I mean, we spent a whole season going through James and we got, saw some of the negative power of the tongue, but the positive power of the tongue, when the word of the Lord is on it, I don't know that we have a clue, honestly. Because God and God alone will restore his people in his timing and for his glory, and you get to be a part of that. 
So Ezekiel goes on. He's writing his own encounter, and he says, So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise. Can you imagine that sound? Like, I just would be great to have the soundtrack, a YouTube of that one, you know? Hear the sound of those bones rattling, coming together. And then bone to bone, and then he looked, and there were tendons and flesh. And skin covered them, but there was no breath. Genesis 2-7, you know, it's the beginning of all things here. It says, Then the Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the, life, the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. We are dust. Sorry to tell you. <laughs> I mean, we're in Lent, right? You know, if you went to a Nash Wednesday service, from dust to dust. From dust you have been created, to dust you will go. We are dust. God used dirt to make us. Dust is the stuff of the earth. We get our words human, humble, and humility all from the Latin word, the root word for earth or dust, which is humus. That's us. Our humanity, our humility, everything comes from we are dust. We recognize that. I mean this in not such a necessarily a spiritual way, but in a, in a real practical way. We're earthly. We're made of earth. We're creatures of the earth, and we're inextricably connected to the material world. It's one of the reasons that we can be so awed by what we see in the natural. You walk up to a waterfall, to, uh, to a sunset. I mean, Indiana actually has some amazing sunrises and sunsets. If you're awake that early and look in the right direction. It's one of the reasons we can be in awe of, of what we see out there is because we're inextricably connected to the physical world. We're part of it. We're dust. It also explains why we can get so attached to the physical world and sometimes idolize it, right? Because we're dust attached to dirt. Amen. <laughs> Just a joke. We're made from stuff. So dust and bones are not bad, but they need God. So a question this morning, as we sort of sit in the middle of this prophecy, waiting for God to do his grand work, with Ezekiel's cooperation is, can you accept your dustiness today? Can you accept your humanity? Can you recognize that there are times in your life when you are limited by who you are? We're going to get to the breath part, but I don't know if we get to get to the breath part with real humility unless we recognize and accept the dust part. We are dust and breath. We're dust animated by breath, but we've got to come to the place where we can accept this is who we are, and maybe to the place where we can accept in other people this is where you are. I don't know if you want to start this with your spouse. You're acting a little dusty this morning. It's probably not going to trend well. <laughs> but can we see that in others that we're susceptible? Psalm 103, I'm going to throw a Bible verse at this, and then you're stuck with it. Psalm 103, he is like a father to us. This is God, tender and sympathetic to those who fear him, for he knows we are but dust. 
and our days are few and brief like grass, like flowers blown by the wind and gone forever. Can we be tender and sympathetic with ourselves? Can, can you be tender and sympathetic towards someone else who's walking in a little dustiness? I'm not saying enable it. I'm not saying coddle it. I'm saying understand it. Be open and honest with it. Be sympathetic and kind towards it. Can you realize that sometimes when you're looking at yourself in the mirror or another person, you see a body, you see muscles, you see, well, you see body, you see flesh, you see sinews, right? You see all that. But this person is lifeless. Have you felt that way? Have you seen someone like that? And can you have sympathy, empathy, compassion for them? My uh, sister, Laurie, died 12 years ago at the age of 48, and she uh, was diagnosed with a form of schizophrenia at the age of 18. So we had 30 years of, my parents <laughs> really had 30 years of confusion, trying to figure out in and out of mental health and all that. And one of the things I recognized, I can't tell you the moment it happened. I was probably back from college or something, and she was in some sort of mode. And I realized... She looks perfectly fine. She is not perfectly fine. You look on the outside, you talk to her, and you'd think, she's perfectly fine. Everything's okay. She's got it all going on. She knows the Lord. Everything's fine. And then these crazy things would come out of her mind. And then she'd talk to herself. And all the stuff that goes along with schizophrenia. And it took me and my parents, and I think others around Laurie, the longest time to recognize, as good as you look, there's something else happening inside. That is the reality with many people around us and with ourselves sometimes. As good as we portray ourselves and as good as people look, there's something else going on inside. Can we be sympathetic and compassionate and care for those who've got some other things going on? Now, she achieved some level of healing in her life, but not ultimately. Ultimately, the sickness took her. But can we look out in the world and recognize everyone's got something going on? Um, I mean, sometimes Jane and I will share after a day talking to people, and one of us will just say, it's hard out there. <laughs> and we say that because we know it's hard in here, right? God and God alone will restore his people in his timing and for his glory, and you get to be a part of that. We go on in the story. The Lord says to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath. Say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. So God, who clearly could have done this whole thing on his own and did not need to involve Ezekiel or write it down for us, he gives Ezekiel the very words to say to the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine that? Okay, the, the Hebrew word ruach means spirit, means wind, and it means breath. R-U-A-C-H, maybe. R-U-A-C-H, Hebrew word, yeah. So ruach means breath, it means wind, and it means spirit, all at the same time. So here's, here's God saying to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath, prophesy to the wind, literally prophesy to the Spirit. 
who brings life. Exact same word in Genesis 2-7 or Genesis 1. Both of those places where God takes the dust and then breathes the breath of life, the ruach, into the dust and it becomes a living animated being. Creation and recreation and restoration all happen the same way. Genesis 1, the, um, the earth was formless and void, the spirit hovered over the earth, and then the word of the Lord came, right? And, and recreation or restoration happens the same way. The spirit there hovering, and then the word of God comes. Here, God gives Ezekiel the word, talk to the spirit, and tell the spirit what to do. Doesn't that sound outlandish? God tells Ezekiel, speak to the breath. And God, and, and though we know we're dust, we're dust animated by breath. So God, I mean, it's like God lets Ezekiel see the beginning all over again. That's called restoration. Seeing the beginning all over again. Hey, they look like dust, a bunch of bones. Now talk to the breath. Talk to the wind. Speak to the spirit and ask the spirit to come and these bones will live. So there they are looking good without life and then he prophesies. He speaks forth the word of God to the Holy Spirit and says, come. How many of you have seen the Jesus Revolution? Okay, quite a few. I recommend it. It's not a cheesy Christian film. It doesn't end neatly. That's a good thing. <laughs> Who ends neatly here? <laughs> Jesus' revolution is a, is a part of the story of Lonnie Frisbee. What a cool name for a hippie. What a cool name for a hippie. Dude, Lonnie Frisbee. It's the story of Lonnie Frisbee and um, Chuck Smith and Greg Laurie at the beginning of the Jesus movement. And this is just a guy in, from a dysfunctional family, radical uh, conversion to Jesus, and then the way God used this broken person to help facilitate an, a movement, a revival that, you know what, honestly, many of us are a result of right here at the vineyard right now in some way, shape, or form. Lonnie Frisbee also used, happened to be the broken man that God used in 1980 on Mother's Day at a Calvary Chapel in Yorba Linda, California, that would become the first vineyard church. And Lonnie Frisbee, the hippie, walks in on Mother's Day, 1980. I obviously wasn't there because I was... Well, I wasn't there. And Lonnie Frisbee gives a message. You can actually see it on YouTube. It's, it's pretty powerful. Bad audio, but pretty powerful. And at the end of the message... Lonnie Frisbee says this prayer, which has become sort of the, the liturgical prayer of the vineyard, he just says, come Holy Spirit. He prophesies to the breath. He speaks to the wind. He, I assume under God's anointing, asks the Holy Spirit, come. And as John Wimber says in his testimony, John Wimber, founder of the Vineyard Movement, in his testimony says, and after he said those three words, come Holy Spirit, those three words, all heaven was unleashed. They were just in a high school in Yorba Linda, California, and, and the story is that just chairs flew and people went down and all manner of heaven was released on a people. In the next three months, they baptized 400 people. 400 people. 700 people. 
and then within the next uh, three and a half years, 1,700 people baptized. And it was really the birth of the Vineyard Movement, which is why so many times when we're just praying, you'll hear someone from the Vineyard say, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit. We know He's here. We're not telling Him what to do. We don't command the Holy Spirit. That would be presumption. But we must not deny the Holy Spirit. That would be heresy. So we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. And that's called wisdom and power. And that's the love and the wisdom and the power of God. When we say, come Holy Spirit and do what you want to do. Right here in our midst. Right here with these people. I wonder where God might be inspiring us this morning. Or you specifically. Inspiring, you know. Inspire. Get the breath analogy there. Two of you, yes? Yeah, thank you. Can count on Audra. How might God be inspiring you to speak to the Holy Spirit on behalf of someone else? Is there a place in your life that's dead? You look good, but you know there's no life. Is there someone in your life who looks good, but there's no life? Is there someone in your life who looks bad, and obviously there's no life? How do you cooperate with God? I, I, I honestly think Ezekiel 37 is an invitation to cooperation with the restoration of God's people. And I look around, I know quite a few of you, I know a lot of your stories. I know there are people represented here with people that are, are, are longing for God to do a restorative work. I just want to say this morning, don't stop hoping and don't stop praying. Don't stop. God and God alone will restore his people. He'll do it in his timing and he'll do it for his glory, but you are a part of that. Maybe there's an area of your life where you're asking the Holy Spirit to come and bring fresh wind or new life. To finish verses 11 to 14, go on to reveal to to Ezekiel that the, the people who are represented in this vision are the people of Israel. People who, like some of us and some that we know, said in verse 11, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. I mean, that's not something you want <laughs> uh, as, you know, your, uh, the, the, the saying over your life. But so many of us live in that. Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone and we're cut off. And so God says to Ezekiel, son of man, here's what I want to do with these bones. They're the house of Israel. And then these are the promises. He says, I will open your graves and bring you out of them. I will restore you to your land, and I would say in parentheses, to your destiny. I will put my spirit in you that you may live, and then you will know that I am the Lord and I have done it. I've quoted it plenty of times before, second century church father Irenaeus, don't ask me how to spell it, Irenaeus, a guy, (laughs) said the glory of God is man fully alive which means the glory of God is dust filled with breath. The glory of God is dust filled with breath. The glory of God is us in our brokenness, in our reality, in our limitation, filled with the Holy Spirit of God that animates all things and restores all things. Not just individually, but corporately. A vast army, which means that every single person is important, which means that everyone here 
is important to God. You're gifted to give and of immeasurable value to God. So I, I just want to say at the end, as we get to this army word, please do not dismiss yourself. If, if at any point you've said, I'm, I'm done, I, God hasn't done it, I'm cut off, I'm without hope, my bones are dry, I'm done, I'm X years old and I guess I'm over, please do not dismiss yourself. You don't get to dismiss yourself. God still has work for you. God still has work for you to do. And we need every single person here, alive, aware of our dust, and alive to the breath, the Spirit of God willing to participate in the restoration of God's people. What happens at the end? The result of God's purpose and our participation, God's, I, I, I fell into uh, R's and P's here, sorry, at the end. God's people are revived, that means life comes. God's people are restored. That means promises get fulfilled. God's people are restored. That means promises get fulfilled. And God's people remember God. At the very end, God says, and then you will know that I am the Lord and that I have done it. And these people, Israel in this case, us in our case, will remember, oh God, you're the one that did it. So when God brings restoration to that person or to that part of our life, we're not going to go around and say, yeah, I just picked myself up and really made it happen. We'll say, no, God did it. God came and brought life where I was dead. God brought restoration of my destiny where I thought there was no hope left. And God helped me to remember that he's God and I'm not. And he can do whatever he wants because God will, and God alone, will restore his people in his timing and for his glory. And you and I get to be a part of that. Let's pray. Let's stand. And I could ask the ministry team to come forward. I don't know exactly how God wants to, to work today. Remember, we don't command the Holy Spirit. Worship doesn't bring God's power. Preaching doesn't bring God's power. Hungry, open hearts. God's very attracted to that. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this word of encouragement this morning. We thank you for the vision, the reality of life coming from death, of revival, restoration. Holy Spirit, come and work among us. Stir up your people again. Release your gifts in people again. Release your passion again in people. I just encourage you, if if any sense of, if God spoke to you in any way this morning, don't wait for me to, to say something that will initiate. Just come forward and, and ask someone to pray for you. If, if you just want to be with God, you just come up in the front and, and be here. You can go to the prayer room or you can kneel where you are. We're not trying to make something happen. We're inviting God to do what only God can do. Restore and redeem. Revive and revitalize. what your level of expectation is in your life today. I wonder if you need to accept your dustiness and your limitations and quit trying to clean yourself up and make it all look good. If the world sees God's glory when our dust is animated by his breath, then what might God want to show about himself to the world through you? 
and wonder, have you settled for dust only when breath is promised and present? So Lord, would you come and just speak to us and minister uh, among us this morning? someone to pray for you, come on forward. You want to sit for a while in God's presence, you're welcome to do that. God bless you all.